Welcome to the Christchurch London podcast. To hear talks from each of our services, please visit christchurchlondon.org. So good to be here for the first time. Uh, I've been threatening to come for a few years now, so love that I've got this opportunity. Uh, you've been a very welcoming lot. I was had the privilege of being here for the, the morning service as well. Um, had a barbecue. I've got a sunburn. Oh, this is just... <laughs> What a church. Um, so a step back just to the, the steps notice. I did steps back in, I think it was 2016. It radically changed the direction of my life. If you're in any, any doubt this morning about whether or not steps can help you if you're really struggling with something, maybe just give it a go. This church is full of people who have genuinely found freedom and had their lives altered because of it. For what God, God does through that unique process of the steps course can really help. Uh, it really changed my wife's life, and she hasn't even done steps yet. <laughs> so please do come and chat to, to myself or, or anyone you know who's done it, um, if you are interested, and, and do go along to one of the introduction sessions. So we are in Luke, continuing our series that's been going for some time this year. We're in Luke 7, and I'm going to read it, and it should come up behind me as we go. After he'd f- finished, this is Jesus, saying all these things in, in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. Now a centurion had a servant who was sick and at the point of death, who was highly valued by him. And when the centurion heard about Jesus, he sent to him elders of the Jews, asking him to come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they pleaded with him earnestly, saying, he is worthy to have you do this for him, for he loves our nation, and he's the one who built us our synagogue. And Jesus went with them. When he was not far from the house, the centurion sent his friends, saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. Therefore, I did not presume to come to you. But say the word, and let my servant be healed. For I too am a man set under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, he goes. I say to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him. And turning to the crowd that followed him, he said, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. And when those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the servant well. So here we are reading this interesting story in Luke 7 of Jesus healing a centurion's servant. So let's start with the centurion. So who is the centurion? A centurion was a Roman imperial officer. Uh, with a number of soldiers he's responsible for. How many soldiers do we think a centurion is responsible for? Some <laughs> people, yeah. You, what, go on. A hundred, yeah. Apparently not. So I thought, the first time I did this preach, I said, oh, it's a hundred. And then uh, a friend of mine from the Stockwell service went, um, actually, Adam, I think, <laughs> I think you'll find it's 80. Um, I, I don't really care. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, and nor should you, but... But centurions did come in different forms of seniority. Some were quite junior, some were quite senior, depending on how much money they had, how important an influence their political power was in Rome, and so on and so forth. This guy probably was quite senior, because he had servants, not just soldiers, because he seemed to have the power to build a synagogue for the Jews. He had authority and clout and finance and that kind of thing. So a senior official for the oppressive regime. So an interesting person to have in this story. And what's going on here is he has a servant that he cares for who's dying. He hears about Jesus. We don't know what he's heard about Jesus. 
We don't know if it's good or bad, presumably good. We don't even know if the centurion believed in God. But he believed in Jesus' power and asked him to come and heal his servant. In fact, to just say the words to heal his servant. When he sees Jesus coming, he sends his friend saying, look, don't come to my house. I'm not worthy for you to do this. Just, just say the word. I believe you and my servant will be well because I can say to my people who work for me, go do this. So it must be the same for you. I wonder what he did here about Jesus. What did they tell him? Jesus marvels at this guy and he says, I've not seen faith like this in the whole of this country. And all of his travels and all of his journeys, he'd not seen anything like it, is what he's telling the crowd. I've not seen such faith. We don't know much else about the centurion. We can infer things like he's compassionate, right? He's caring for his staff. He's humble in not wanting Jesus to come into his house, not considering himself worthy of the visit. And he was full of faith. And that's the thing I want to focus on this evening. We can understand a lot about faith from reading the Gospel of Luke, and we've talked about it quite a lot this year, and we'll continue to do so for the next few weeks. Throughout Luke, in fact, we see stories where Jesus points to faith, all the lack of it and the people around him, and uses it to teach his message. Back in chapter 5, Jesus is meeting with some religious leaders, and a group of lads bring their friend who's paralyzed, but they couldn't get into the meeting because it's so full and full of other people. So they literally lift off a panel from the roof and lower, imagine that, and then lower their friend down. And Jesus says, man, your sins are forgiven. And the leaders kick off about it and Jesus heals the guy right there in front of them because that's the kind of faith he was looking for. Later in this chapter, again, Jesus is meeting with religious leaders and a woman of the city comes and anoints his feet with ointment and perfume. It's an incredible act of devotion and tenderness. And of course, the religious leaders, they kick off again and they say, this woman's a sex worker. Don't let let her touch you. And Jesus says to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Jesus calms a storm in chapter 8. All the disciples are terrified. They think they're going to die. And he says, where's your faith? I'm with you. And he calms the storm. Later on in chapter 8, a crowd is around Jesus. Everyone's touching him, trying to get close to him. And a woman reaches out through the crowd, grabs his cloak, and is instantly healed. A power goes out from Jesus, which he senses, and says, who's touched me? The disciples are like, well, everyone touched you. What do you mean? The woman comes forward, and he says to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. And my last one, but there are many more. Chapter 18, a blind man calls out to Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Only for those with Jesus, who were with Jesus to tell him to shut up. So what does Jesus do? He walks over to the blind man who's just been abused by his followers. And he says to the blind man, recover your sight. Your faith has made you well. You get the idea. Jesus is interested in faith and works miraculously through it. To heal us physically, to forgive us of sin, and to help transform our lives and those around us. So wherever you are this morning on your journey of faith, whether you're just exploring the Christian faith, maybe, or whether you're struggling this morning to hold on to the promises of God and you feel weakness, perhaps, in this area, or perhaps you're just looking to be refreshed by God, I believe God wants to speak to you this morning and all of us this morning, this evening. 
See, I just don't know where I am. It's this morning. It's not even written down. But I, I really do believe that God wants to affect us with this message. He wants to give us faith. Can I be honest for a moment? I, can, I need the feedback, guys. Or I will be dishonest. Okay. I'll be honest. Um, I've got some serious problems with faith. Not my wife, Faith, she's great. The, this thing, when I read about it in the Bible, right, I'm in, sometimes intimidated. In prepare, preparing this message, I'm reading about these amazing stories of people having this amazing faith, seemingly sometimes out of nowhere. I struggle with it. I wonder if that's tr- true for anyone else this morning, this evening. Just, when I say this morning, I'm saying this evening. I've never preached in the evening. There you go, that's why. That's why, right. Don't let it distract you. Has anyone ever heard another Christian or a Christian leader or someone, even a friend, just say to you, hey, look, just, just have faith. Right? I mean, I, I, I know what they're trying to do, but sometimes I don't get it. I don't, I don't know what that means. I, don't know, I can't just have faith. I can't just move a mountain. I can't just, it, I can't just change careers. It's hard. It's difficult. Nike sometimes tell me, just, just do it. My leg hurts, it's cold outside, I don't want to, it's hard. I can do things like, hey, just close the door, just shut up, Adam. Like, it, some things are easy and some things are hard. When we say just have faith, I think we're sometimes implying it could be easy. It doesn't feel that way sometimes. So I looked around in the Bible and I thought, I wonder where this, actually, this phrase comes from. Is it in the Bible? Turns out it is. Once. We're going to come back to it later, so just don't look it up, put a pin in that. We'll come back to it later. But I th- think at the core of this is that we actually misunderstand or sometimes misunderstand what faith is and where it comes from. I think sometimes we feel like it's a bit of a vague hope grounded in imaginary or wishful thinking, just something we want. Like, I, I sure hope this thing is going to work, but I've got nothing to base it on. That faith means that anything we want to happen will happen if we have enough of it. Secondly, I think sometimes we feel that it's 100% our problem, that we don't get any outside help, that we have to summon it up from the wells of illustrious faith within each of us. That can't be what it is. Or thirdly, that there's maybe no room for doubt, that we can't grow in it, that it either has to be strong or not at all. I want us to be able to read this story of the centurion and believe and know that faith is available To everyone here, it is in all of our futures and is available here today. So starting with the first one, this idea of like it's a vague hope, I want to compare that to what we actually see in the Bible, biblical faith. In fact, it's not random, it's not based on this selfish desire, like I want to be rich. Just have enough faith and you will be rich. That is nonsense. You can't use God to, you can't manipulate him for your own selfish desires. So what is our definition of faith? Now thankfully, there is a verse about this in the Bible. So if you've been around Christianity for a while, you may be familiar with this. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1 says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. So this work assurance in the Greek is apparently hypostasis, which is also translated in other Bible versions as the word confidence. 
And then the second word is a very similar one that we translate here as conviction. So confidence, assurance, conviction. And then the hope and the things not seen is not referring to this imaginary randomness or just the things you want, like hoping for England to win the World Cup. Because they didn't, right? (laughs) Biblical faith has nothing to do with that. The whole book of Hebrews, that whole chapter, chapter 11 as well, is talking about how people, list starts listing them, how people step forward in faith in the fullness of God to follow God and fulfill his promises. That is biblical faith. By defining faith as assurance and conviction, the author of Hebrews indicates that it's not the vague hope or wishful thinking, it's settled confidence that something in the future or in the present Something that's not yet seen but has been promised by God one way or another will actually come to pass because God will bring it about. It's not blind trust in the face of contrary evidence. It's not like in Indiana Jones where he steps out in the, into that canyon in the, is it the last crusade? Just hoping something's there and there's actually like a, a bridge or something. That's not what it's about. It's not just a leap in the dark. It's for a great purpose. God's purpose. Because God is all-powerful, infinitely wise, eternally trustworthy. God is a God who's revealed himself over and over again throughout the history of God's people. In the New Testament, we see it over and over again of God being faithful to people who follow him. We've seen it before Jesus came in the Old Testament. In the story of Moses, Moses leading the people out of slavery. In Noah building the ark. In Nehemiah returning to rebuild the city of God. God gave these people promises. They had faith in him, they followed God. And God delivered. Not only that, but over the last 2,000 years of Christian life on earth, we've seen God be faithful to the church and to his people. In this church, in this service, in this room, God has been faithful in many of your lives. You have stories. Tell them. Faith in the unseen realities of God is emphasized throughout Scripture. God has a track record and a reputation. Faith can be from promises, directly from promises he's made to us. I wonder if you know how many promises there are in the Bible from God. Some geek has counted, it wasn't me. Somewhere between 3,573 and 8,810. So, so some double counting going on. I'm not gonna share with you the full methodology, but there's like loads, okay? Let's just. Many of them have happened. God has kept his promise. Many of, them, many of them we're still waiting for them. Some of them are big, some of them are small. Some of them are rather strange, and I'll let you find those on your own. But we can also receive these promises today, in real time. Uh, Raise your hands if you're at the retreat. Okay, wow, loads of you. Okay, so uh, on on the Saturday night, uh, David was preaching, I think it was Saturday night, and um, he was talking about the church and God using uh, people and their skill to help build the church. And I was sitting right at the back, right in the back row, and the whole time he was preaching, I just felt this huge stirring in me. I was just... Hard to explain, but just this massive amount of passion and desire for God to build the church, our church, this church. And uh, about halfway through his sermon, I just felt a prompting, like, stand up, get David's attention, 
And in my mind, it was either I had something for him and I was just going to yell at him halfway through his talker at the end, or he had something for me. That's what I felt. Stand up, get his attention. So I stood at the, stood at the back and made BD eye contact. <laughs> while it was. And you may have heard it, you may remember, you may have been somewhere else, but at the end he said, hey, is that Adam that's standing at the back? I'm like, yes, got it. <laughs> and he said, where's Faith? Faith, stand up. I was like, oh, what? <laughs> what? And then he delivered something to Faith, and he said to, to, to my wife, um, God is with you. And to me, he said, you have a burden. What did he say? You had a burden on your heart. No, you've been harboring something in your heart. That was what he said, which was like, oh, he's got me. Uh, but then he said, no, follow it. You need to follow it. And that's what it was. It's the church. We've had a hard time in Stockwell. We used to be 100 or 120 or so people at that retreat. We were 12. Last year, we were fewer, right? We've, we've lost a lot of people post-COVID. It's a difficult time. But out of nowhere, and not my own doing, God has just given me this faith from somewhere. He's given me promises. Most of our best friends have left the church. It's faith that's helping us stay. I wonder what God has for you and what God wants to put on your heart for you to follow. The second thing we were looking at that somehow to do with willpower, that we have to summon it up from within us, that we have to just try really, really, really hard, that that's all it is. In Ephesians 2, it says, For grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it's the gift of God, not as a result of works, so no one can boast. And the idea behind this is, if faith was somehow 100% to do with what we're summoning up, we could have faith, we could perform a miracle, someone could be healed, or the church could grow, and we can say, look what my mighty faith has done. It's not the way it works. It's God working through us, through his purposes, and it's the faith he gives us. Later on in Hebrews 12, it says that Jesus is the author and perfecter of our faith. He's the one writing those passions on our heart. He's the one telling the story for us. He's perfecting us, giving it to us. And it's true that we do have power through faith. And there is part of this which does require us to take a risk, to try and believe, to stand up, to trust in God. That's absolutely what he's asking us to do. But it's also a gift from God, achieved through him and for his promises. May God give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in our knowledge of him, having the eyes of our heart enlightened. Remember that uh, at the retreat, um, Joshua Luke Smith, wasn't it? He talked about this, that the eyes of your heart enlightened. God opens up the eyes of our heart. So how do we get it then? How do we get faith? This might sound just a little bit simple, but have we asked for it? Do we pray for faith? I remember when I became a Christian back in 2001. Again, I was just filled with this desire to believe in God. I was at this Christian uh, Bible retreat called Stonely. My friend, Nathan, who used to be part of this church, invited me along. I was 16. Yeah, something like that. And I wanted to believe in God. I heard all this stuff about him. I, see, I saw how it was affecting people's lives, and I wanted it. I didn't have it. I did not believe. I did not have faith. But I had this overwhelming desire for it. And I asked this Christian guy, like, how do I, how do I become a Christian then? And he says, you need to ask God. 
If you ask God, he will answer. If you knock on the door, he will open. He will respond. So that later that day, I'm walking around this campsite, just oddly, without actually believing in God, praying to God, like, if you're real, can I become a Christian, please? Can I believe? Can you make me believe? And then I walked into this big meeting, everyone's worshiping God, and my friend walks up to me and goes, hey, they're praying for people at the front who want to become Christians. So <laughs> timing's great, so off I went, and a guy in a Superman t-shirt, I don't know why that, I remember that, comes over and prays for me. And uh, we prayed together, and I prayed something like, uh, dear God, please, can I become a Christian, please? And it's hard to explain, it, but my story is in that moment, I had faith in God, and it was definitely from God. And I've held on to that today. And God has sustained me and grown me in faith. I was convicted and assured of a reality that I couldn't see. I think we all need to ask our father for the gift of faith. My father passed away last year. Before he got ill a couple of years ago, out of nowhere, he had a conversation with me in the, in the dining room. And he just said, I wanted to tell you, there's nothing I wouldn't do for you. So I asked him for an Xbox. <laughs> I, I didn't. I should have done. There's nothing he wouldn't do for me. And what I thought about ever since that, and since losing dad, what, where my mind's actually gone is, if that's how my dad felt about me, how much more must God feel that. I think that's what God has to say for us this morning, is there is nothing I wouldn't do for you. Amen. So is there any room for doubt? Sometimes with faith, we feel like we either have it or we don't. It's on or it's off. It's a one or a zero. It's a pass or a fail, especially in this world where everything gets polarized. That's not the case. That's not what we see biblically. In the Gospel of Mark, a little boy has an unclean spirit, which is causing him to not be able to speak. He's convulsing, being paralyzed. And the disciples were trying to heal the boy, and the father of the lad is desperate, and he asks Jesus, look, if you can do anything, have compassion and help us. So Jesus points to this guy's faith, and he says, if you can, all things are possible for one who believes. So does the father do what the centurion does and go, yeah, of course you do it. Just say the word, and it'll be done, 100%. No, he cries out these words, I believe, help me with my unbelief. I wonder if that's true of us, that we believe, but we have unbelief. We believe God, help us with our unbelief. I've got a little here, but I need more. Small faith is incredibly significant to God. If we go back to the phrase, uh, just have faith from earlier, right? I said I'd come back to it. Uh, only one place, like I said, it appears in, in the Bible. It's actually in the Gospel of Luke and Mark, same story, different gospel. Um, and it happens immediately after the woman gets healed by touching Jesus' robe, if you remember that from earlier. So he's on his way to heal uh, Jairus' daughter. And it says this, a messenger arrived from the home of Jairus, the leader of the synagogue, and he told him, the father, your daughter is dead. There's no use troubling the teacher now. But when Jesus heard what had happened, he said to Jairus, don't be afraid, just have faith. There it is. And she will be healed. When they arrived at the house, Jesus wouldn't let anyone go in with him except Peter, John, James, and the little girl's father and mother. And the house was filled with people weeping, 
wailing. But he said, stop the weeping. She isn't dead. She's only asleep. But the crowd looked to him because they all knew she'd died. Then Jesus took her by the hand and said in a loud voice, my child, get up. And at that moment, her life returned and she immediately stood up. So notice a few things here, that this is a room full of people in mourning, not expecting the daughter to come back to life. There's no evidence here at all that anyone was full of faith. And Jesus walked with the girl's parents, told them not to be afraid, and then healed their daughter regardless. In your mourning and your sadness, in your weakness and your doubt, Jesus will ask you to have faith in him. He'll tell you not to be afraid, and he will walk with you. Later on in Luke, uh, Luke 17, uh, Jesus tells us that if we have faith as small as a mustard seed, we can instruct a, a big tree, basically, to be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it will obey us. It's not about the seed or the tree. It's about God, who makes things happen through faith in him, however small that faith might be. Faith is a journey, right? It's like a muscle you have to exercise. It doesn't come all at once. It can take time to build up, to grow, to take leaps of faith, to take ever bigger steps of faith, to follow God more and more, to build up that story, that track record of God being faithful in your life. I'd like to close uh, by telling a story about uh, a friend of mine called Victoria Armstrong. Faith and I used to live in Manchester for four or five years uh, back when we first got married, back in the day. And uh, Victoria leads a charity in a place called Gorton, which is one of the poorest wards in Manchester. Uh, she became a Christian in 1992, um, and she said, God gave me a vision for a building pumping out God's unconditional love, showing me how much he loved this community of people. And more than that, God gave her a vision for this old bank that lies at the center of uh, Gorton Town. It used to be a bank, but now it's well, then it was derelict, um, and there's nothing they could do with it, owned by the council, and there it was, a ruin. So she felt God talk to her about this bank, that this is the place where it would happen. So believing God, inspired by this vision from him, she start, started working, helping the poor, those in not an education or training. She started giving out food parcels and gathering volunteers, and eventually able to fund employees, including my wife. They rented a nearby church hall, kind of like this one, and they carried on the work of what's called the Oasis Center, but still no bank. She tried, she asked the council, she petitioned to them, but they always said no. On top of that, it would cost her over a million pounds to redevelop, to knock it down, and build a decent building there. So the years went by, she was faithful to God's message. She was faithful to the community. She built up trust in the community. Conversations went on, and then one day, the, bank, sorry, the council turned around and said, okay, fine, you can buy the bank off us for one pound. But then the faith challenge really began because then she needed to find a million pounds from somewhere. So to cut a long story short, she was wildly successful in raising a million pounds from various sources and grants from the government and other places and trusts and charities. And I'm going to show you a video now, now to see what happened. And the story of the Oasis Centre is about to enter a brand new chapter, and it's taking shape just around the corner. 
Victoria and her team have raised £1.1 million for their own purpose-built centre due to open in January. This is the new Oasis Centre that I have been dreaming for for the past 26 years. You know, it's just every emotion that you could think of. But a building isn't what it's about. It's about community. It's about life being transformed. It's about people being set free and, um, and being given hope for their future. That's, that's what this building represents. Amazing. Notice how true she is right to the end, to the real purpose and the mission. It's about hope for the future for a community that's been left behind. She is faithful and has been faithful to God's promise. And look how he's rewarded that faith. You may have noticed in the background there's a building, but there's also all these homes being built around the corner. 26 affordable homes being built in that area, one for each year that she was waiting. God blessed them and then so much more. They now have income from the houses and this center that's almost completely self-funding now. An incredible story. Where did Vicky get this faith from? Obviously from God. And she had already seen God work day after day in that community center. She'd been to Hong Kong with Jackie Pullinger, who's been mentioned probably here a few times, that David and Philippa Stroud spent a lot of time with back in the day, seeing, praying people off drugs and out of gangs. She'd been there. She'd seen it. She'd seen God's power. So fill yourselves with stories of faith today. Remind yourself of your stories of faith. Ask each other what their stories are. Tell me, I'm interested. It gives me faith. I felt during the worship today a lot of faith for the Stockwell service. I believe God can do there what he did before and what he's done here. He absolutely will. Can I have the band back up, please? Thank you. So what's your story of faith today? Each and every one of us is on a faith story. And the message of the gospel here is asking us to have faith like the centurion. It's not demanding that we have exactly the same faith right now or else. I think Jesus is asking us to have faith like a centurion. Have you in the past received promises from God and given a hope for the future that is still unseen? If that's you this morning, maybe it's time to pray and ask God to strengthen your faith, to hold on to that promise, to renew your faith. And perhaps you have a burning desire to see God work in miraculous ways, like with the centurion, to see people healed. And for those around you, perhaps a family member, I think now is an opportunity to ask your father for faith to heal. You may be just exploring faith today and maybe want to dig a little deeper don't worry, no one here is going to walk up to you and tell you to just have faith. We'll walk with you. We'll tell you about Jesus and hopefully connect you into the church. Whatever it may be, why don't we use this time of, uh, of worship and invite God to help us grow in our faith. Why don't we all stand and I'll pray for us. Father God, I pray that you will give us the assurance of things hoped for, the promises from you, which will lead to conviction and action towards the things we haven't seen. God, fill us with faith. Give us dreams and hopes for the future. God, deliver on your promise. In Jesus' name, amen.